two-bedroom apartment on the west side of Los Angeles, it's Ion Film! Tonight, we've got Carly Walsh and I Heart Huckabees. Is it a crime? Is it a crime to look at Lang? On this week's existential episode. Hello again and welcome to another exciting episode of High on Film, sobering talk about movies. Your favorite independent film podcast covering only the biggest Hollywood blockbusters and answering all of life's questions today on episode 218, looking at the big picture, trying to figure out what it all means with I Heart Huckabees from 2004, directed by... A very controversial figure here on High on Film. I don't know if that's been made abundantly clear, but certainly we've talked about it before. The director of uh, The Great American Hustle. No, not Donald J. Trump. David O. Russell. Uh, written by David O. Russell and Jeff Baina, and I'm Chris Maxwell, not involved with I Heart Huckabees, other than here to talk about it, your host on High on Film. Welcome to the show. We pick guests Guest? Yeah, one at a time, usually. <laughs> they pick movie, and here we are. Let's get to my co-host and friend. He is the co-host from the couch, as you originally known him. He is the podcaster of Disaster. The, oh, we're about a month away from him being the mother of dragons, one of Earth's mightiest heroes, and the Brad Davis that God gave us. Brad Davis. Chris Maxwell. Hey, Brad. Hey, Chris. What's up, dude? Uh, not much. How you doing? Hey, doing all right. How is uh, how's your outlook on this crazy universe uh, currently? Today? Yeah, currently, yeah. I, I, it's been better. It's been better. Has yeah. anything as of late thrown you into an ex existential crisis? Have you had an existential crisis in your life before? Uh, yeah, I have had an existential crisis a little bit around twenty. My twenty fifth birthday had a bit of an ex existential crisis. There you go. I, I mean, it's inevitable. I feel. Yeah. Most people, I feel like, have it at some point. Yeah. You feel that uh, it's been resolved for you, or do you need existential detectives to kind of suss some shit out for you? No, I'm good. I think there's, yeah, me too. there's other problems that are <laughs> much more, need, need to be addressed much more than my uh, existentialism. Yeah, what does it all mean? Yeah, I, I know what it means. We're good. <laughs> you know what it means. Let's leave that as a cliffhanger, and let's get to our guest today. Uh, she is a reoccurring guest here on High on Film, one of our favorites, uh, an actress and a, uh, great friend of ours. Carly Walsh returns for her nth appearance on High on Film. What's up, guys? Hey, Carly. <laughs> thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I heart Huckabees. Yeah. You obviously heart Huckabees. I really do. I, I think it's a lovely movie. Um, nice and funny, but also has a, has a very good heart to it, so... Hence, I heart Huckabees. Sure, uh, I heart, I heart Huckabees. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, how's your uh, existential state these days? Um, it's it's okay right now. Um, I would say twenty seven was the was the age for me so far. Um, but I'm I'm feeling all right right now. I mean, the state of the world is a little confusing, but my life is pretty okay. There you go. Yeah. Now, when did you see this movie in relation to your own existential crisis? After? Before? before. During? Before. Before, okay. Um, I saw it when it came out, and I've owned it since, like, 2005 when it was released. Um, and then have watched it periodically until now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I've seen it probably about five or six times oh, in wow. the movie. I really, yeah, I really enjoy it. Okay. Uh, and I imagine it probably gave you some... Uh... 
weaponry to deal with your own existential crisis. Uh, I, I feel like this does have some good ideas and susses out a lot of existentialism in general, albeit in a very comedic setting. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Excellent. Uh, we should also mention, probably, uh, Brad, you said this during the, the viewing, maybe Mark Wahlberg's finest performance. I, yes, I firmly stand by that. He's awesome in this movie. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we are only two weeks away from the premiere of maybe the crowning achievement of Mark Wahlberg's career, <laughs> Transformers The Last Night, which I believe we will be reviewing on the show. I would imagine. I did, side note, I did read that this is supposed to be the shortest Transformers movie yet. What? That I read that yesterday. Is it going to be like two and a half hours long? Something like that. Yeah, they got plenty, <laughs> plenty of slack to play but with there. I read that somewhere online that Michael Bay said it will be the shortest Transformers, or at least as far as the sequels, the shortest sequel. Oh, okay. Because the first one's like... Around two to two? ten, I think. Yeah. Then all the sequels are at least two and a half, I believe. <laughs> I believe there's a two twenty in there. There might be. Yeah. But then the last one was like two forty five. <laughs> God. Yeah. Ugh, I'm in it now. Oh yeah. Mark Wahlberg meets Transformers. It's reinvigorated my love of that. Well, gave me love for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Mark. That's a that's the perfect marriage. Mark Wahlberg and Transformers. Yeah. And Michael Bay, another one of our favorite directors. Sure. Well, we should talk about this. Uh, David O. Russell, you know, we were all a little upset about Silver Linings Playbook. Um, about Silver Linings Playbook? As a in general? Just in general, oh, yeah. as a film. I felt like I, I really liked it up until they make that stupid bet at the end. And it becomes a wonderful, subversive, romantic comedy and turns into schlock. Yeah. Um, I thought Bradley Cooper was great up to that point. I feel like he carries the movie more than the script does. Yeah, I think I'm they're all under great. Coop, J-Law... Jayla was good. I mean, not Bobby Oscar D. good. Sure, she, she was not Oscar good. Well, you got to crown the new Hollywood. I know queen. No, we and just she, did and, it she, and she was very good. She was very good. In yeah. It. Yeah. I don't, I don't think the best actress of that year, but I definitely think she was very good. I, I like Jennifer Lawrence. She should have yeah. won for Winter's Bone. Yeah. Agreed. I don't know who she lost to, so I can't say should have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love well, her. That check it at the great. break. Yeah, check it at the break. Um, but anyway, David O. Russell. I don't think anyone really enjoyed American Hustle. Carly, did you... You didn't like that movie, did you? Oh, I hated that movie. Oh, good. Oh, I super, super hated that movie. I believe my dad and I walked out of the movie theater and I looked at him and said, well, that was garbage. And he laughed and he said, garbage. I was like, yep, pretty much. David O. Russell's <laughs> American Hustle. Yeah. Oh. And uh, finally, the world caught up with him with joy, which I think no one took any in viewing it. No. Um, I didn't get to watch that one, though. I didn't see it. The Mop Movie. The mop movie that is now called. But nonetheless, David O. Russell has had a pretty pretty damn good career. I love Three Kings. Uh, the Fighter is one of my is probably my favorite of his. I have a very re renewed appreciation for this film, I Heart Huckabees. So let's do three movies that had Oscar nominations directed by David O. Russell. The Fighter, which was his first. The aforementioned Silver Linings Playbook. And the much maligned American Hustle. Trash Star Destroy. This is your first category as we take three movies of a similar ilk. One to trash, which means it's eliminated from existence. One to star in, in whatever role you'd like to take for yourself. And of course the third must be destroyed, which means the only version that has ever been created of that film has been both written and directed by Mr. Michael Bay of Transformers Dark of the Moon fame. So, nominated David O. Russell, The Fighter, SLP, Silver Linings. 
at American Hustle. What do you do? This is actually pretty easy for me. It's pretty easy for Brad. Yeah. I'm trashing American Hustle. Wow. Because, of course, that movie doesn't, we don't need that at all. And even, it's funny to actually think Michael Bay could make that movie better, maybe. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking of. Um, but I'd rather just get rid of it. Um, I'm going to star in The Fighter, because that's one of, that's probably my favorite movie of his, too. And I, I guess I'd take the Mark Wahlberg role. kind of like to work, act with Mark Wahlberg. I'm sure that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, Christian Bell won an Oscar for that movie. I can't very well take that role. And he was so good. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll be the fighter. The fighter. Uh, the fighter. Right. Brad Davis. I'll, I'll get in a really good shape too, which would be, which would be nice. nice. And you get to act with Bale and Melissa Leo and... Amy Adams. Amy Adams. Uh, yeah. There you go. It's a good cast. Um, I'm going to, then I'm going to give Silver Linings Playbook to Bay. Which hurts that movie for sure, but I think with, like we were saying, uh, Bradley Cooper's so good in that movie, probably his best performance. Jennifer Lawrence, good. Robert De Niro's really good in the movie too, so, I, I mean, the the bet thing would somehow, he would make that worse somehow, which is hard to even imagine, but I'm, I, I trust that he would. And that would suck, but you'd still get good performances regardless if you have that cast. So I I'm okay with that. Okay. Carly. So I'm gonna do something similar. I'm gonna star in the fighter. I'm gonna take the Amy Adams role. Sure. I think it would be great. Um good role. then I'm gonna flip the other two because I think if we give American Hustle to Michael Bay, it takes all the acclaim out of that movie. Which Ooh. is fine for me. And I Ooh. think it doesn't get nominated and it gets kind of panned. And then we get rid of Silver Linings Playbook so that we lose that sort of awful third act of that film, too. Mm -hmm. that's so a, those, that's, my, that's my feeling. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah, that would definitely lose all of its acclaim, which yeah. I, am, I would be in high favor of. I'm here to argue that it may lose its acclaim, but I think it may add to its actual value sure. of Michael Bay's American Hustle. Uh, I think I might be the only one around the table who saw Painting Game. Um, I did, I missed that one. But I imagine it was pretty good. But okay. I imagine American Hustle would benefit from a little bit of that Michael Bay pizzazz and like getting one over on the American people. I feel is right up Michael Bay's alley. So I'm gonna give He's Mike been doing it for years. Yeah, Michael Bay is American Hustle. Okay. And now I'm torn. Nothing's right. You're torn. What? <laughs> The song. <laughs> I didn't hear what you said. I said nothing's right. You're uh, torn. Nothing's <laughs> right. I'm torn. Um, and, and it's which one I want to star in. Do I want to act with Christian Bale and Melissa Leo and Amy Adams, or do I want to act with Jennifer Lawrence and Robert De Niro and the third person who's in that movie? That's not Bradley Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Somebody plays. Yeah, there's someone else the in that mom. movie. I can't remember who plays the mom. Who plays the mom and who Jennifer Lawrence lost to in Winter Zone? Coming up after the break. Call in. Let us know. <laughs> um, boy, I'm tempted to star the fighter because it's a better movie, but acting with Robert De Niro is very tempting. Sure. So I think that's what I'm going to do. Wow. I'm going to sacrifice the fighter. Goodbye. And star in Silver Lining's playbook as, as Coop's part. Ah. Yeah. I'm going to be a rage-filled guy. With a I mean, more depressed Eagles than anything. Fanship. More yeah. depressed than anything. Yeah. Yeah. 
Is he depressed? He has rage bouts, doesn't he? Well, I think he's bipolar. Yeah. Bipolar? I, I couldn't remember bipolar. exactly, yeah, what it was. Um, but Clearly, that movie really stuck with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cooper's performance did stick with me. Like, I thought oh, yeah. he was incredible. He was very good. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. That's a good choice. Thanks, Jackie man. Weaver. Jackie Weaver is the, the mother in mm. uh, Silver Linings Playbook. Is there another, like... Marquee star, though? Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker. Yeah. You want to take the Chris Tucker role? <laughs> you know, it's been my dream to act with Chris Tucker. <laughs> it would be fun. Yeah, it would Not be. many people get to do it. He doesn't do many movies. No, it's like you and Jackie Chan. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> All right, guys. And Robert De Niro. And De Niro, of course. And uh, Bruce Willis. Which movie? Fifth Element. Oh, right, right. Yes. Yeah, yes. From Luc Besson, director of Valyrian and City of a Thousand Million Planets, or whatever it's called. That that is the name. It is. Or is, is, is somebody tweeted yesterday, uh, the sixth element. The sixth element. <laughs> I like that. Uh, it was Doug Benson, baby. Oh, uh, good job, Doug Benson. Mm. I hope I'm giving credit where in the right place. But yeah, that's a good one. Good credit. <laughs> good credit. All right, Welcome, guys. Doug Benson. <laughs> Let's do one more trash star destroy category. Uh, this movie, uh, an existential comedy. Let's do three existential, more or less comedies. Okay. <laughs> Specific, I like it. I Heart Huckabee is the movie we just watched. Uh, the Charlie Kaufman directed Synecdoche, New York, and Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. What does it all mean? Birdman, yeah. Huckabees, Synecdoche. <laughs> yeah. That's tough, because boy, I would love to play Jason Schwartzman and I Heart Huckabees and just act across from Mark Wahlberg for, throughout this movie. And Lily Tomlin and, and Dustin Hoffman. Hoffman. Uh, and Naomi Watts and Jude Law. Yeah. Jude Law is so damn good in this movie, too. To meet Shania Twain. That's <laughs> number one right at the top of my list. Uh, but starting Birdman, though, that's tough to turn that down. Yeah. Naomi Watts. But, oh yeah, look at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause yeah, I guess if I start in Birdman, I'd have to take the I I guess either the Galifianakis role. Ed Norton. Yeah, he's too good. Or uh yeah. That might be too hard. I, and that's kind of where now I become an asshole, cause hmm. now you do. <laughs> well played. Um I think I have to star in Birdman. I think I can't pass that up, even though starring in I Heart Huckabees would be probably more fun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess if I'm starring in Birdman, I guess I'm taking the Galifianakis role. Okay. I feel okay about that. I can't take the Keaton role. He's should have won an Oscar. Yeah, should have. Robbed. I'll never get over that. I will neither. Um... So I'll take the Galifianakis role in Birdman, so then what, we have Huckabees and... Synecdoche, New Synecdoche, York. New York. I guess I'm going to track uh, trash Synecdoche, New York. I've never actually seen it. Oh. But I don't want to lose Wahlberg's performance in I Heart Huckabees. That is probably the most important thing I want to keep in this movie, and I feel like you'll still get that even if Michael Bay's directing. Michael Bay's I Heart Huckabees? Michael Bay's saying? I Heart Huckabees, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. send your mean comments to Brad Davis. <laughs> Carol, I oh, you're giving a chance. I didn't actually get my real one. No, you did not. But hey, Michael Bay, pairing with Mark Wahlberg. 
It's proven to be a success. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'll feel okay with that because I don't want to trash Birdman and I also can't get Birdman to bay because then that movie unravels. So, unfortunately, that's my decision. Okay. My working with Mark Wahlberg in a great movie. And, and you know, Michael Bay also wrote it, so... Just imagine the depths he goes to on his existential comedy. Yeah, I'm kind of interested in that, quite <laughs> yeah, honestly. Yeah, maybe. Tried to dig into that with tra- the last Transformers movie. Did not work. That's like a soul. Ugh. It's an allspark. <laughs> <laughs> We're both dads. <laughs> That's what it means for him. Carly, what are you doing here uh, in the big picture? This is the hardest trash star destroy I've had to figure out. Um, wow. Because all three of these are phenomenal films and I think I think I would take the Michelle Williams role in Synecdoche New York wow okay um I mean the chance to work with Philip Seymour Hoffman I think would be an acting class on its own um (laughs) yeah and I would love that and that movie I think is a near perfect movie I think that it is from start to finish it is one of the darkest most depressing but lovely films I've ever seen in my life critically regarded Um, as a masterpiece yeah and I would say yeah the hard thing now is what do I get rid of I guess (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess I give Birdman to Bay, even though it's gonna be awful. It's just gonna be awful. Um, yeah, but I, I, I don't think that I can give Huckabees to Bay. It's, it's also too important to me to like to ruin. If I'm not gonna be in it, I can't ruin it. So, I trash it. Yeah. Okay. At least in Birdman. Somebody's flying around. That's very bayish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> bayish. Uh, boy, I mean, I guess I also am going to have to trash I Heart Huckabees just because I'm torn on Mr. Russell's career as it is, so I feel like there's no love loss if I, if I trash it. Um, and then I think I'm starring in... Birdman as Edward Norton. Okay. And then Michael Bay's Synecdoche, New York. Oh. Uh, oh. Yeah. I mean, it would be a bit of beautiful self-reflexivity to see him building a set that becomes too big and, like, envelops life, and then he falls into his own overproduction of a film. Maybe, you know, like, the, yeah. you see how that kind of starts layering there? Sure. Um, hey, man, I'm trying to <laughs> try to absolve myself a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Okay. And instead of Philip Seymour Hoffman, it's The Rock, and instead of Catherine Keener, it's Megan Fox, yep. and yep. <laughs> here we are. Just all gone. Yep. <laughs> and instead of Synecdoche, it's now Miami. <laughs> Miami, Florida. Miami, Florida. <laughs> the self-reflexive existential piece by Michael Bay. Beautiful. I'm interested, actually. I just sold myself on that, I think. <laughs> I think I just bought myself a ticket to that film. <laughs> All right, guys. With that, we're going to take a break, and I'm going to think about what I did. And we're going to come back with more High on Film, more I Heart Huckabees, and more Carly Walsh right after this. 
And we're back, high on film, talking I Heart Huckabees today with Carly Walsh. Alright guys, here it is. Uh, the summary game, the first official game of the podcast. We're each going to take a turn at summarizing I Heart Huckabees in a thousandth of the time that it actually takes to view. That is a 107 minute movie, leaving us each with 10.7 seconds to get out the best summary of this dense existential comedy. But before we do that... We have some unresolved business that I just forgot about. Or just remembered, I should <laughs> Well, you did forget about it. I did forget about it, but now I remembered it, so here we are. Time of the flat circle. Um, Jennifer Lawrence lost her Oscar for Winter's Bone. Which, which we did say, like, oh, she probably deserved to win. She probably should have deserved it. Yeah. But she, well, she probably deserved to win if she was nominated any other year. Unfortunately, she went up against... Natalie Portman for Black Swan. Yes, who definitely deserves to win an Oscar. Definitely deserves that Oscar. <laughs> yes. I will not take away Natalie Portman's no. Oscar. I love Natalie Portman. She's one of my favorite actors uh, existing. And she was fantastic in that film. And she was fantastic in that film. So, now, back to the summary game <laughs> for I Heart Huckabees. Zero to two points as well for each player uh, involved. That is all of us. Uh, we'll score each other numerically like friends do. Zero to two points, please. Use decimals to refine your scores and prevent us ending up in a tie at the end of the podcast. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, of course, we had our patented toy cost coin toss during the break, and gosh darn it, Brad. Yep. I don't know how you did it. You flipped the three-sided coin. You called it. It came up as you said. Giving you the prerogative. First, second, or third, sir. Uh, I'll let you go first, Chris. Oh, good. That's just what I wanted. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> This movie's so easy to describe in, well, how long do we 10. have? 10.7 seconds. 10.7 seconds. I'm going to enjoy this. Yeah, me too. Okay, hold on. Yeah. <sighs> loosen it up. Loosen it up. Get something in the chamber. Existential all right. Crisis. Existential crisis. Existential crisis. What does it all mean? Okay. All right. 10.7 seconds. Yes, sir. In three, two, one. Environmentally uh, a minded young man with a bad business sense goes through an existential crisis, hires existential detectives who involve everyone else in his life into existential crises, uh, and then resolve it to find out that he, everyone's... Time. Mm. Mm. A little hung up at the beginning. Got I couldn't go, get the word out. I then, know. You know. Got going pretty good in the middle, and then it fizzled out a little bit at the end. Yeah. But it wasn't bad. I think I ran out of time at the end. Well, you did. <laughs> Rather than fizzle But uh, you just started saying, like, existential crisis about Well, the existential times. detectives... Sure. And then Throw everyone, everyone else into an existential yes. crisis. Which is true. Thank you. That's all I wanted. <laughs> Carly. Okay. Try and do better than that. <laughs> oh, God, I'll try. Yeah. Five or six viewings. Let's see if you can get a better summary out. In three, two, one... Environmentally-minded Albert looks to solve a coincidence by hiring existential detectives only to find that with the help from his other that everything is nothing and nothingness and equally important. Time. Well. Wow. <laughs> Your thesis statement at the end was pretty good. Yes. It took me a while to get all the words out, too. <laughs> Throwing existential in there is just hard yeah. when, you're, when you're... Trying to talk Under fast. the gun. Using <laughs> multi-syllabic words. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple multi-syllabic oh. words. <clears throat> All right, Brad. Okay. Okay. Lilu Dallas multi-pass. I don't know, because multiple and multi. And that's a fifth element reference. Beautiful. It all comes around. See how that all works? Everything's tied together and everything is all the same. Big blanket. Sure. Brad. Yes. 10.7. Okay. In three, 
two, one. A man investigating a coincidence hires existential detectives to help him try to figure out the meaning of life. He, uh, the people around him end up having the same existential crisis, and they end up uh, learning more about life in the end. Time. Not bad. Not bad. That's Lost it at good. the end. You yeah. got complete thoughts out. Yeah. Yeah. Which was yeah, better which than... Both of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Both of us. <laughs> Great job, guys. Really, really good stuff. I think you guys certainly did a little, little better than I did. Um, but I'll, I'll take my lumps when I need them. Love taker. Love taker. Heartbreaker, love taker. Don't you mess around with me, yo no. Uh, a musical episode of High On Phil. That's right. Uh, yeah, appropriate enough. You said again during the movie, great score in this film. Great, great score. score. Yeah, great. sets the tone for this movie immediately when you hear it. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of sounds from this film, <laughs> let's get into segue. first impressions, the second game of our podcast. We're each going to give the person sitting to our right a line to impersonate from I Heart Huckabees to the best of their ability. This time, zero to three points at stake. <gasps> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's appropriate. No one does that anymore. <gasps> oh, no. oh my word. We need more oohs and ahs. And <laughs> Sound department. I'll do what I can do. Thank you. Carly, you get to uh, go first here and give Brad any line you'd like to hear him impersonate. So I chose a line of Tommy, or Mark Wahlberg, um, and it is when he finds his other Albert and their new existential detective in bed together, basically. And he feels left, and I'm not going to say the line, but you can play it for him now. I'm just gonna accept my loneliness and I'm gonna go to an even darker place of nothingness from an even farther more extreme nothingness on my own I need you guys alright Mark Wahlberg getting mad at Jason Schwartzman and Isabel Huppert Brad let's hear your best uh, Marky Mark alright I'm just going to accept my loneliness. I'm going to go to even a darker place of nothingness from any of the farther more extreme nothingness on my own. I don't need you guys. That was really good. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you, you really, uh, I, I wouldn't say that's a Mark Wahlberg impression, but you really echoed his performance. And Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I got the cadence, cadence to at least yeah, at yeah. a certain yeah. point. Yeah, I can't do the Wahlberg impression that you can do, Chris. Oh, I am, I am no Mark Wahlberg impression <laughs> expert. No, well, you do a, a good caricature. <laughs> Uh, much like Taron Killam's Brad Pitt impression. Uh, one of my favorites. It's so good. That's kind of what I always think about when I think of your uh, <laughs> Mark Wahlberg impression. Do you have a line for me? I do, sir. Um, so I'm going to give you an Albert line, Mr. Jason Schwartzman. Ah, the Schwartz. Uh, it is early in the film when he's first meeting with the existential detectives. He's meeting with Lily Tomlin at this point. And um, she asks him... Uh, if he's, I can't remember the exact wording of it. She asks him a question, he gives an answer. Let's just. Yeah. Let's transcended space and time. That's exactly before. what it is. I couldn't think transcended. I was like, damn it, what's the word? Have you ever transcended space and time? Yes. No. Uh, time, not space. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, someone want to set me up with a Lily Tomlin question here? Before sure. I dive into my Schwartz? May the Schwartz be with me? Brad? Yeah, sure. Do your best, Lily Tomlin. <laughs> Have you ever transcended space and time? Yes. No. Uh, time, not space. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. 
Again, you got the cadence. I mean, yeah. it's tough to do a Schwartzman impression. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of has that. Standard American male. Yeah, yeah he's a little more stilted, I think, in his delivery than mm. probably the average person, but it, that's kind of, yeah. it's kind of there in the writing anyway, so. But you got the cadence. Thanks. It's always going to look for higher learning, this guy. Rushmore, this movie. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> <laughs> Darjeeling Limited. Yeah, that's true. Actually, that is true. Yeah. That's a good one. All of Wes Anderson's career. Uh, boy, where are we at now? Oh, I'm going to give a line to Carly. That's, that's where we are. That's where we're at. And boy, oh boy, I'm going to give you a line. Oh, I'm going to give you uh, Catherine, the uh, Oscar-nominated Isabelle Huppert. Um, French, uh, famous French actress. Um, she's... This is the famous scene, I think, of this movie where Mark Wahlberg and Jason Schwartzman are hitting themselves in the face with a inflated rubber ball uh, to kind of feel uh, nothingness and everything all at once, uh, realize their insignificant place in the world, as taught to them by the more nihilistic of the two schools of existential thought. Um, so Katerine, they're, they're explaining their, their awakening to Katerine, and uh, Mark Wahlberg keeps calling it a ball thing, and she says, don't call it a ball thing, call it pure being. In just a with a wonderful uh, French accent. So here it is. But isn't the drama and suffering less if we do the ball thing every day? Don't call it the ball thing. Call it pure being. <clears throat> okay, Carly. Whenever you're ready. Don't call it the ball thing. Call it pure being. Well, that yeah. was really good, actually. Yeah, really, yeah, really fair good. enough. Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, all right. Uh, boy, this, oh boy. This game just took a turn. <laughs> yep, yep. All right. <clears throat> well, now that the games took a turn, you can set the scorecards aside, because we're going to get into a more of an open forum discussion in something we like to call scene work. Of course, we're an optimistic podcast. Everyone knows that. So we like to start things off optimistically. Do 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 do. Best scene. What's the best scene? In I Heart Huckabees. I have quite a few. Yeah, I have a few start here. Well, you gotta pick one. So let's start let's start with the best. What do you say it is? Uh I think one of the best is definitely the dinner scene. Uh the dinner scene when they are at Mike Mike's house. Who is the Michael? Who is the Steve? Steven. 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 Sorry, I don't know. Where the Michael the tall from. African yes. man. Yes, for Steve-o. Steve-o. Um, <laughs> at Steven's house, and they sit around the table and talk to this Christian family, um, and Mark Wahlberg just sort of goes off the rails quite a bit. It is fantastic. Yeah, not only Mark Wahlberg, but Jason Schwartzman as well. Yeah. And the family is uh, Gene Smart and Richard Jenkins and Jonah Hill and this uh, this tall African actor who's been in a few things. And the daughter. Too. And then the daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and the daughter, too. Yeah. And the daughter, too. <laughs> um, yeah. And they're a super Christian family, and they put on nice airs for a little bit, but then when Schwartzman and Wahlberg start going off about their existential crises, it gets hilarious. It's awesome. Yeah. I, I think it's the funniest scene in the movie, and I... I, I Absolutely. Even though it, it is a little sidestepped from the main plot of this movie, I I think it's the best scene. I love it. I love every second of it. And it's also where they both understand each other even more. Like yeah. where where they have each other's backs 
unabashedly and yeah tommy and uh yeah, albert and take on this whole this whole family yeah and I love, you know, what happens at dusk in the meadow? And then Jonah Hill yeah. takes that as earnest. He's like, what happens at dusk in the meadow? <laughs> nothing, yeah. everything. And, and then Gene Nothing, Slor- everything. And nothing everything. <laughs> like three times say nothing and everything at the same time. And it's such a beautiful microcosm of what this movie is trying to say anyway. And it's oh, just magnifique. Yeah. You know what happened to the cat? How do you know what happened to my cat? Yeah. <laughs> Curiosity, Curiosity killed, killed it. Killed it. Yeah. Uh, oh, that, that cat. cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a brilliant scene. And like you said, you're adding Gene, particularly Gene Smart and Richard Jenkins into the mix. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, my God, what a what a table full of actors there. Yep. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably the best scene in this movie. I mean, I could certainly, again, because I love Wahlberg so much in this movie, his intro scene is fantastic. That's it's the just, one I've written down. It's chaotic. Because he's like, his wife's basically leaving him because he's too deep into this existential uh, crisis or existential thought process. And he won't let her use petroleum. He won't let her use petroleum. (laughs) She's taking her daughter away. Dustin Hoffman shows up. They're like trying to, it's just this chaotic mess. Then all of a sudden, Wahlberg goes off on this tangent about Indonesia. And he's telling his daughter that all these little girls are making all these products in Indonesia. The clothes for her mother. Oh, the shoes. Yeah. The shoes for her mother. Oh, it just sets, it's such a perfect introduction to this character. And it's so funny. And Wahlberg is so, I don't want to use the word, it's a little misleading to say unhinged, but I, I kind of love it. He's that that's kind of what sets the tone for his character and I just I love that scene. It seems so funny and just so there's like firemen all over the place and it's just it's a mess, but it's such a great character introduction. All his stuff's out on the lawn. Yeah, his hair's messed up. Like yeah, he's, it's great. It's it's hilarious. Um yeah, I believe he's in like free fall. He's in a crisis. Right. Like they get yeah. that's why he calls Dustin Hoffman and she has to interrupt, or Lily Tomlin interrupts him with Schwartzman. It's like, Tommy's having a crisis. You gotta right. go over there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's awesome. I mean, those are literally the two I have written down. Um, I also will just say, in terms of performance, I think that the scene in Brad's office where Jude Law hears himself say that same story, and the journey that Jude Law takes just in that one scene is so beautifully done yeah and he goes from this cocky asshole that we've seen the whole movie to this very grounded very real human who can't handle his own life and who he who he has become and it's just a really i think that it's a beautiful scene well and he does it all in silence basically you're just you keep hearing you probably hear the parts of the story maybe six times or something Yeah, the shania twain chicken salad story right and you just see him kind of each time he's hearing it there's a little a little tick more and a little tick more just driving him like into this crisis yeah well yeah because he's disappointed and ashamed of his younger brother because he thinks he's boring and talks about geckos all the time so then when faced with the reality that he's just as boring as his brother yeah well, it breaks it him. It breaks him. And yeah. then he breaks again when he realizes that he's just as hurt as Schwartzman. Yeah. Like, and he just, yeah, again, like. That he doesn't have it all figured out and he's still figuring out who he is. Like, yeah. it's, what, what, is, what do they keep on saying? What is it? Uh, how am I not myself? How yeah. am I not how myself? Am I not yeah. Myself? Yeah. Oh. They just keep repeating it. 
Yep. That scene so is good. great. They I even just... put that on a title card after the end credits. Yeah. How am I not myself? How am I not it's the last myself? thing you say. And it lingers there and then disappears. Yeah. If I'm going to mention one other scene too, because that scene is probably then third on my list, uh, the elevator scene at the so end. Mm. Just them on the elevator. Uh, it's so long. They're like him and it's Jude Law and Schwartzman just kind of talking on the elevator and people are getting on and off. Particularly the moment when like Jude Law starts shoving Jason yeah. Schwartzman into these two women yeah, on the it, elevator. It becomes a full-on comedy of errors at that yeah. point. Yes. Like, it might as well be lights out with how many times they're going up and down and like the same floors. And, and they stop with the same people. Yeah. And, and ev everybody is changing their tune throughout. You run into Shania Twain at one point and she sort of resolves the entire story that right. you've been Right, gives telling. him the come up and yeah. study needs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and two, the great that's great physical comedy, which this movie kind of has throughout. You have Mark Wahlberg hitting Schwartzman in the face of the ball and him yeah, falling. Yeah. The Jude Law fall when Mark Wahlberg pushes him yeah. is hilarious. So, yeah. Like, this movie is has a lot of really well-done physical comedy in it. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. It is. It's 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 sharp. It is. It's a sharp, I, sharp and film. I, I don't think we've said it here. I, when I first watched this movie, I hated it. I wow. did not like this movie at all. Did you watch it before your your existential crisis? Yes. There you go. I did watch it before. Do you my think that relates to it now, or you just think the density of the film has revealed itself a little more? Uh, the density of the film probably revealed itself a little more. I'm probably a little more. Uh, I watch movies differently now than I did back then. I'm a little mm -hmm. more uh, with a little more of a critical or an analytical eye. Yeah. Um. So I think that's certainly changed too. Um. And I probably just appreciate. Oh, movies more now than I did back then as well, which gives me more... I, I, the one thing about this movie I always loved is Wahlberg, but I didn't really like the script, and now I understand it a little better and kind of wanted to understand it a little better, so it certainly <laughs> improved the movie vastly. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, if there's a best scene, and you love this movie now, unfortunately, I'm going to make you talk about what you don't like. Do-do-do. Worst scene. What's the worst scene in I Heart Huckabee's? I only have one thing written down um, because I do think I, I just really love this movie, but um, <clears throat> I think the Katerine and Albert sex in the marsh is not my favorite representation of how they could have done all of that. Yeah, um, weird. Yeah, it's it's weird, but it feels for the first time in the film, it feels like it's weird for the sake of being weird instead yes. of having a point. One hundred percent. And I think and particularly like the mud on the faces yeah. and all that. It just well, and I think Chris, maybe you said it, maybe Brad said it during the film, but they also don't go full on into it. So you're not watching these two people get like completely spun out of control and this is what they're now uh, with desire as we're meant to believe. Yeah, at their um, most base. Yeah, yeah, and you watch as Jason Schwartzman and um, Hupper, like, or Hooper, um hold back a little bit and are timid with one another, which is very, it doesn't help with the scene. Sell it, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I just don't understand the motivation of, like, him, like, diving into the ground and mud on the face and slamming each other. Like, it's like we're one with the earth. I right, get that. Right, exactly. What's but, the difference between a sport of mold and you? Yeah, you? but it's just, I, I mean, I, I understand that without going to the, that depth of it. It's yeah. too much. Um, yeah, it's a, that's a good point, yeah. Carly. What do you, what are you thinking, Brad? 
you know, the one, I actually had a couple things, but they all kind yeah. of, but they're all one idea, basically. And it's all of the, kind of the dream sequence, when he's like in the bag, mm -hmm. all of that kind of like fractured face moving stuff. And That's not all in the dream sequence. Well, it's, it's kind of, it's throughout, like the debate particle cube thing. Right, so are you talking all the special all, effects? All of like the abstract kind okay. of avant-garde. So not just elements. in the bag, sometimes. Not just in the bag. Okay. I'm saying, I'm sorry, I was using that as kind of where it starts. Gotcha. But all of the elements in this movie, I understand why they're there. Mm -hmm. But I would have really liked to see this movie, because it's kind of such an out there premise, I would have really liked them to keep the audience is grounded in reality as possible. And that kind of takes me out of the movie when I think it'd be much more interesting to just kind of see these people having these crises, having dealing with these feelings in a very, and keep it very real in the world. That's more interesting to me. And none of those scenes really did much for me as far as explaining anything further, moving the plot along further, I mean, yeah, when I'm chopping up things with a machete and all that. I mean, I know it comes around later, but it just took me... All of those scenes took me out of the film. You, you know, I have I have a similar thing written down, actually. Um, but I, for me, it's very important to distinguish between the stuff in the bag or their eyes closed and when they are fully conscious and you're watching the film take the squares of them and kind of move them, jigsaw them around. I think those are two very different things, and I think they work differently for me. The bag stuff I like. I understand that you need to see what they're not seeing. The squares I'm torn on. The squares I think should ultimately be left out of this film. Um, and that's my worst scene. Because, one, I think it's funnier to see the truth. That as they're talking about cracks and squares in the nothingness, there's actually nothing there. And to have Dustin Hoffman and Mark Wahlberg sitting there staring at nothing so close together, pointing at thin air, I think is more hilarious than getting to see the squares kind of come apart and represent the particles of everything. Well, and it's almost like he's trying to be clever with the... Uh, you guys know there's no, there's, you're not yeah. seeing anything, but, right? Well, here's the thing, though. I mean, and this is why I think it's it does work, ultimately... I mean, Lily Tomlin has that line about, well, it's there, just like you trust that electricity's there and radio waves are there. It's showing us that existentialism, these things, is a very real thing, even though we can't see it. And this movie is now giving us a chance to see it. So, I like that they use that it. For what it will. I, I do like that they use it somewhat sparingly too, because it's not it's not like the whole time, but it is Dustin Hoffman's character's thing. So when yeah. he's there, I mean. The artwork in his... The chalkboard. Yeah, the chalkboard yeah. that is just those squares. And then he gets the chalkboard on his back. And he's, he is so much about those squares and that space in between, that there's no space in between, that everything comes together. The blanket. And, yeah, uh, and, yeah. Well, and I do... I will say that one scene that always kind of sticks with me is you don't know where my nose begins and, and ends. Yeah. And, and nothingness begins. Because that idea that existence is fluid like everything is just here mm -hmm. and there's nothing begins and nothing ends i think that you do have to visualize it for this movie not to be longer i know i think that if that conversation happened it can be without a visualization i think that it could be like oh well yeah sure something begins something at like but but See, you are standing there and i think that 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 
mainly that moment. I think that Jason Schwartzman's face moving into where Brad's face is, I don't think that we needed that necessarily. I think him sure. just staring at that and maybe staring at the picture of himself. Then you get it. Bingo. But... But I do think the audience that is smart little, enough. Yeah, but I think a little bit of that vis- visualization to better understand where he's coming from is, especially if we are going to have the bag stuff where where we are in their heads yeah, and yeah. we're and we're trying to see how they're trying to see things, and then it all falls away, and it's still you're still looking at each other, right? And looking at nothing, but looking at everything. Well, specifically that moment, though, I think would I think it would amplify the comedy if there was actually no visual effects over it, and it's a very tight shot, and Wahlberg and Dustin Hoffman are nose to nose, very close, and if they were just like, I don't know where my nose begins and yours ends, and it's just these two actors just staring at each other with nothing going on, I think it it is. It may amplify a, a the comedy, but I think moment. it takes away from the story. Okay. Personally, right. yeah, I guess I guess for me the visual effects part of it doesn't affect the story one way or the other. I think the point is still there, but I mean I, I get where you're coming from. And again, it wasn't something you know that bothered me big time. I mean I wrote it down as like a worst scene, obviously, but it's just it, it just takes me out of the film. Okay. Well, guys. There it is, the theme song for the final game of the podcast. It's time for Milking It. We're each going to draw a card from the big box of Hollywood ideas of prequels, sequels, reboots, and genres. On said card will give you a new way to look at I Heart Huckabees. Take what you want from characters, theme, plot points, uh, lessons learned, uh, existential crises, whatever you want. Reuse, reduce, recycle them into a brand new movie. We'll need a title and a quick summary of what you come up with. Uh, so we can put it back out there and make a billion more dollars for the studio system. So, uh, let's give the old Hollywood relic a gentle shuffle here. Not so gentle. Uh, can take it. <laughs> Brad, I believe you're going first. Alright. A musical. A musical. Funny enough. That is funny enough. <laughs> I will draw next. As an anime film... All right, Miyazaki's I Heart Huckabees, and Carly. A buddy comedy. All right, okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break to gather our thoughts, and when we return, we will have three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment right after this short break. And we're back right in the middle of milking it for I Heart Huckabees from David O. Russell. Potentially his finest film. I'd have to rewatch The Fighter again. And probably Three Kings again. But I don't think it. I need to watch Three Kings again. I like Three Kings. I mean, I like Three Kings, but I'm saying as far as comparing, like, I my guess is Huckabees and Fighter, I'll like more than Three Kings on rewatching. Interesting. Hmm. You're, you, Carly, you're no questions asked. This is uh, your favorite of his. Yes, I have. I have also not seen Three Kings, but um, give it a view. It's good. Between the fighter and this, I enjoy this more. All right. I think that performances in the fighter are great, um, but this movie is certainly more up my alley and is something that I, I just can't find a lot of flaws in it at all. Yeah, yeah. It's a little more unique too. I kind of give a little more points for its uniqueness. I mean. Fighter's great, but it's another boxing movie. A great boxing movie, but mm. 
we have a lot of those. Yeah. Well, let's take this unique movie and cram it into a recycled genre from Hollywood. Love it. Brad Davis. What's I Heart Huckabee's the musical all about? Okay, well, I'm just going to kind of take you through a track list here. Oh, yes, of please. what the going to be. Um, so we're going to open up kind of our intro to the Jason Schwartzman character is his song, You Rock Rock. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, a great opening number. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of, we'll get his introduction. Then we uh, get uh, Transcending Space and Time, which is the next song, which is going to be obviously the scene with him meeting the existential detectives, but it's going to be a little more of a... Like, Jason Schwartzman's there, and Lily Tomlin and Dustin Hoffman are kind of pulling him back and forth. Like, she's pulling him to one side to, like, tell her side, of, like, to, to ask her questions, and Hoffman's pulling him over to kind of do his thing, and it's kind of more of a back and forth, like, being pulled both ways, mm -hmm. rather than in the movie where it's, like, one scene and then another scene. So, uh, then we will get the dinner scene between Schwartzman and Jude Law, which it's called, uh, It's All Brad, Brad, Brad. Um, Great. So, and we kind of get our introduction to Jude Law, and he's, it's kind of his pitch to uh, Jason Schwartzman. Uh, we get then the Tommy intro, which is Say No to Petroleum. Uh, and we watched kind of that scene play out and him just kind of being all over the map and, and giving his performance. Uh, then we get Shania's Chicken Salad, the, the office scene of kind of, Brad, kind of Brad finally showing his true colors. Mm. Um, I like to think that's more of a honky-tonk country-western number. A little bit, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, we get the Dawn intro, Look at Me, Look at Me. Um, and it's that's more of her in a... It's during a, um, a commercial shoot, mm -hmm. and we're kind of getting our introduction to her kind of in the midst of this commercial shoot. Um, then we get the dinner scene, Everything, Nothing, uh, with... Uh, that's obviously just everything that pretty much takes place in the dinner scene, the argument, and all that. Um, we get our uh, Katarine intro, which is pure being, uh, parentheses, ball thing. Awesome. Uh, and I know that's not really her, technically her intro scene, but we're going to kind of cram her introduction into the, the ball hitting in the face, and mm -hmm. that'll kind of all be one uh, number. Yeah, streamline. Uh, we get, then we get her, the, we won't really see the sex scene, but we catch, then we see, um, uh, Katarine and, um, uh, Albert. Albert in bed together and, uh, Tommy comes in and it's a darker place of nothingness. Um, we get, uh, uh, Dawn, Naomi Watts freak out scene, which is fuckabees. Mm, yep. Uh, we get the Jude Law scene in his office, his breakdown, How Am I Not Myself, uh, mixed in with the, we also get here Shania's chicken salad again when he's hearing his story over of and course. over again, mixed in with reprise. that, yeah, the reprise, thank you. Um, we get the, uh, everything that takes place around the fire scene, including like the Jude Law breakdown, I'm at the fire. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. The scene, kind of now the uh, the scene where Jude Law tries to go into the meeting and everyone gets kicked out. Now they're in the elevator, elevator music, and we and we get our last scene of uh, the two of them on the rock and the uh, detectives all watching, looking onto them, and it's Chang Gang. Nice, nice. In the musical, how am I not myself? How am I not myself? The musical. I like it, yeah. Yeah. Good, uh, good assessment of the plot points to pick the songs. For and, sure. Yeah, clever titles. Thank you. Good stuff. Thank you very much. A pleasure, sir. A pleasure. Are you ready for my uh, anime film? Very much so. Yeah. Uh, so, 
we, we have the same starting point, the same setup here. Albert lives in a very gray and mundane world of, like, concrete, corporate, suburban sprawl. Uh, of course, he is a gentle soul who writes poetry. He tries to preserve the green spaces that are uh, shrinking every day as, you know, Huckabee's the kind of parent corporation that kind of represents the, the corporate sprawl, takes over and kind of paves things. Um, so, in his little town. But, of course, once he's kind of, like, ousted by Brad the, the uh, from the big corporation of Huckabee's, he, of course, falls into his existential crisis, goes to these existential detectives to kind of help him uh, figure things out, um, and ends up getting into the bag, like he does already. Uh, except now, in the bag, he is able to go on a journey of mind um, and space. He, he's shrinking down to the smallest particles and expanding to the deepest reaches of the universe. He's feeling and empath, em, uh, empathizing with like the entire world, uh, while also getting to experience the loneliness and calmness of absolute nothing. Um, and then we get like, uh, so he goes on this huge, like, you know, almost like Time Bandits adventure in his own mind in this bag. And then when he comes out of the bag, finally, we get a little bit of like, um, like a Wizard of Oz kind of thing, like this gray concrete world. Now he's able to see where the colors are, and it's now reinvigorated him to actually find some joy and purpose in his life. And he goes out there and, and is able to restart the commission or whatever, the, the Green Spaces Coalition. What do they call themselves? Coalition. Coalition. Um, and yeah, and then find the colors in life. And it's called Albert's Mind of Infinity. Oh, yeah, like that it. is pretty good. Thanks. Yeah, it's a good like title. It. Directed by Hiro Miyazaki. <laughs> All right. Nice work. Thank you. Carly, you have a buddy comedy. Buddy comedy. Lay it on us. This is hard because it kind of is a buddy comedy. A little bit. Um, <laughs> so I switched it up a little bit. Um, Tommy and Albert don't know each other, but after Albert loses his job and Tommy's wife leaves him, they're both down on their luck and looking for answers. They find themselves in a private investigator's waiting room, with Tommy asking them to investigate his wife and Albert looking to investigate the man who took his job. After a few weeks of ending up in the same waiting room, waiting to meet with this private investigator to get information, they discuss how unhappy they are with the private investigator, and they decide to go out on their own. Um, and help each other to investigate each other's predicaments. Um, hijinks ensue. <laughs> mm -hmm, of course. As, Naturally. As uh, they find themselves in uncomfortable situations, meeting um, meeting the people that have interacted with both the, the boss, of, or the person who took over Albert's job, as well as uh, Tommy's wife's family and, mm -hmm. and other uh, people that she works with. So they, they just start to meet a lot of different people. Um, and end up realizing that where they ended up is exactly where they needed to be. And what they were looking for all along was just a friend to understand them. So I named this movie uh, <laughs> Finding Truth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, nice. I like that. Yeah. I like the film uh, a little better than the title, but the title serves it. No, no, sure. It, yeah, yeah. I, I, had, I had trouble. I also had, like, pairing up, but I was like, I don't... Pairing <laughs> 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 Now that's a buddy comedy. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I was like, <laughs> I'm trying to... <laughs> yeah, 
pairing up is definitely more of a buddy. <laughs> Things are looking up yeah. for yeah. this pair. Yeah. Pairing up. Yeah. If this was released Mark, in 1986. Marky Mark and Jason Schwartzman in Pairing Up. Yeah, yeah. And they're back to back on the cover. Right, right. <laughs> this were released anywhere from 86 to 92. Yeah. That is the title and the poster. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, as soon as you're done scoring, please pass your scorecards to the front of the class for final edition. And as we do that, we move into our pessimistic end of the show. It is called Podcast Regrets. Anything you regret saying or not saying during the duration of our podcast? Uh, I regret when I mention how good the physical comedy is in this movie. I did not mention the scene where Lily Tomlin and Dustin Hoffman are running through the yard, oh, and Lily yeah. Tomlin's trying to avoid the sprinkler, and, and it like keeps hitting her. <laughs> and she, shit. Yeah. And then she proceeds to like go over to a garbage can and just like throw herself. And she's like hanging over the side of this garbage can. Uh, I mean, I feel like in a movie that Lily Tomlin's such a brilliant comedic actress, it Dustin Hoffman too. We didn't really talk about them as much as we have some of the other actors, but man, they are so good in this movie. And that Lily Tomlin scene of her trying to avoid the sprinkler and it hits her, oh shit. And then she's like trying to avoid it again. Like and it still manages to hit her. Hop in like a skirt. Yeah, yeah, it is. I was laughing so hard at that scene. It's just such a friendly reminder about how brilliant she is. So yeah, I regret not mentioning that when I was mentioning how good the physical comedy is in this movie. I also think that... Uh, it would be a disservice to the movie if we didn't mention how great Naomi Watts is in it as well. And that I is true. I haven't really talked about her at all, but the the range that she shows in this movie, I think, is phenomenal. I mean, from her first scene where she's doing that commercial, and she stops herself and she's like, "Can we do it again?" I just, I'm not. I don't feel good about myself. Like, I'm not good. I'm bad. I'm a bad. I'm bad at this. And then from Watching her be as fake as Brad when she's just like, oh, I'm not, I'm not that pretty. I was never like the pretty girl. Don't worry. Yeah. She's a model and they're showing pictures of her modeling um, to where she ends up at the end of the movie. I just, every time she's on screen, it's just a very real, beautiful moment of her acting, which I think is phenomenal. Yeah, it's funny, actually, because now there's two movies we've done on the podcast where I remembered hating this movie and then watching it again and kind of loving it. With, in both Naomi Watts movies, because the other one was Mulholland Drive. Oh, right. Interesting. Interesting. So, and in both films, too, I feel like more actually in uh, Mulholland Drive, because I think she's awesome in that movie. Yeah. And I didn't really give her the credit she deserved when I upon first watching. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, she is always good, and she is really good in this movie. Her yeah. freakout scene is great. Phenomenal. It is great. And she just butts her butt up against the glass yeah. <laughs> twice yeah. and walks away. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to piggyback on it. I mean, we did talk about how great Jude Law is, is in this movie, but I, I'm just going to emphasize, I'm putting him in the Hall of Fame, uh, high on film, Great Dicks. Oh! He plays a great <laughs> asshole in he's this movie. Asshole. Like, he's right up there with Bradley Cooper in, uh, Wedding, Wedding Crashers. Crashers. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, William Atherton and, uh, you know, all those other Hall of Fame, great high assholes. on film, Hall of Fame, Great Dicks. <laughs> yeah. Big so. Dicks. <laughs> big Dicks. The Big Dicks Hall of Fame of High on Film. Yeah, got to write up a list. Okay? <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Uh, well, I got the points tallied. Uh, not close at all. I, I am uh, I am in third place with 15.8 points. 
Brad, you did me one better, 16.8 points. And Carly, almost a full point more, 17.5 points to Woo! take the win. Truly, you heart Huckabees. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> Carly, thank you so much for doing the show today. Thank you, guys. This is a blast. Yeah, I'm glad I got to rewatch this. Uh, it sounds like Brad's very happy he did, too. It is true. Anything to plug today? Um, I don't tweet much, but if you'd like to follow me, it's uh, at GoTeamCarly. Um, but that's pretty much it. In Instagram, uh, Scarlet Begonias 25 Yeah, you got a good yeah. Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah, <laughs> check it out. Brad Davis, thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. Uh, at BD, always GP on Twitter and Instagram. And I love you, Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, my baseball blog, you can find on my Twitter page. I don't love them so much right now, but that's okay. Sorry, Brad. That's okay. Yeah. I'm at Chris Mac at Chris Maxwell. No, I am Chris Maxwell at Cross <laughs> Maxwell. That's Chris with an O where the I should be on your social media platforms. At High on Film, of course, is the show wherever you want to find us. Email us at the High on Film Show at gmail.com. And um, yeah, we got a Wonder Woman review out. We got Captain Ron. We got Empire Records uh, full length episodes out now. Transformers Last Night review coming up. But before we do that, next week, I believe we are embarking on. Another trilogy. We started this little uh, stint off with the Alien trilogy, and we're going to wrap it up with Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. Ooh. I'm so excited. I'm very excited, too. The third one's the best. I, dude, yeah, I'm, yeah, I, I, I do not believe that. I, I have that only on seen Spider-Man 3 the one time I saw it when it was first released in theaters, on opening night. That's the too. only time I've seen that movie. And I never need to see it again. Well, we're going to one way or the other. I know. But meanwhile, one and two are cultural touchstones for my life. So I'm very excited to start talking about them. And uh, thanks for listening, guys. We love you so much. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>